seated. There are things as we travel this earth shifting sense that transcend all the reason of man. But the things that matter the most in this world, they can never be held in our hand. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. I believe whatever the cost. And when time has surrendered and earth is no more, I'll still cling to that old rugged cross. I believe that the Christ who was slain on the cross has the power to change lives today. For it changed me completely, a new life is mine. That is why by the cross I will stay. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. I believe whatever the cost. And when time has surrendered and earth is no more, I'll still cling to that old rugged cross. I believe that this life with its great mysteries Surely someday will come to an end. But faith will conquer the darkness and death, and will lead me at last to my friend. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. I believe whatever the cost. And when time has surrendered and earth is no more, I'll still cling to that old rugged cross. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. I believe whatever the cost. And when time has surrendered and earth is no more, I'll still cling to that old rugged cross. Amen. Amen. That's good stuff. It's real good. I uh, I have to share some bad news with you this morning. Our church was saddened to learn this week of the death of one of the most valued members, someone else. Someone's passing creates a vacancy that will be difficult to fill. <clears throat> else has been with us for many years, and for every one of those years, someone did far more than a normal person's share of the work. Whenever there was a job to do, a class to teach, or a meeting to attend, one name was on everyone's list. Let someone else do it. Whenever leadership was mentioned, this wonderful person was looked to for inspiration as well as results. Someone else can work with that group. <clears throat> it was common knowledge that Someone else was among the most liberal givers in our church. Whenever there was a financial need, everyone just assumed someone else would make up the difference. Someone else was a wonderful person, sometimes appearing superhuman. Were the truth known, 
Everybody expected too much of someone else. Now, someone else is gone. We wonder what we're going to do. Someone else left a wonderful example to follow. But who's going to follow it? Who's going to do the things someone else did? <laughs> well, you guys are pretty bad today. You're in really bad shape. <clears throat> I guess I'm going to have to help you out then. Cowboy Joe. Yeah, I mean, I, I, some of you are really, you're weeping almost right now. I don't know if you're weeping because you're, you really think there's a guy named someone else or if it's that you think you might have to fill in for him. <coughs> but uh, anyway, Cowboy Joe, he was uh, telling his fellow cowboys back on the ranch about his first visit to the big city church. And uh, he said, well, <clears throat> when I got there, they had me park my old truck in the corral. You mean the parking lot, interrupted his friend Charlie. Well, I walked up the trail to the door. You mean the sidewalk to the door. Well, inside the door, I, I met this dude. His friend said, no, that'd be the usher. Come on, Joe. Well, the usher led me down the chute. <clears throat> His friend Charlie said, you mean the aisle. Well, then he led me to a stall and told me to sit there. Pews, Charlie retorted. Yeah, that's what the pretty lady said when I sat down beside her. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, that's a little better. Some of you are finally awake. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 127. Psalm 127. And the single said I had to share those today. They said those are actually worth sharing for a change. <clears throat> it's been a while since I shared those with you. So just imagine what the singles have endured. In Psalm chapter 127, verses 1 through 5, we read, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, <clears throat> so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. We've been dealing again with... <clears throat> This topic of for the family. And uh, we were dealing with a scriptural mindset. As we think about the family, how do we see the family from a scriptural mindset? And uh, we began our series by dealing with the family, the foundation of society. Stating the importance of the family. How family itself <clears throat> is, is rooted in marriage. And marriage is defined by the Bible as one man, one woman for life. But we, we noted how everything about society and our culture is, is truly grounded in the family. And we said that the fact is that although morals are changing and although our culture is changing and society is ever changing, the fact is, is that the family is essential. It is absolutely necessary if we're going to maintain any kind of real culture and real society as God would have it. I mean, listen, you destroy the family... You destroy the nation. As a matter of fact, it's been said over and over, go, over, and over again, even um, it, it's, as the family goes, so goes the nation. Well, I'm going to tell you something, so goes the church. <clears throat> and it, it's a problem today. It is a problem. I am burdened for families because I'm seeing the, the breakdown of the church as a result of the breakdown of the home. It's not just the home that's suffering now. The church is suffering and our nation is suffering. And it's because we've gotten away from the real authority and foundation of our life. It's the Word of God. Amen. <clears throat> we've got to be careful that we don't continue to move away. But anyway, the family, the, the, the foundation of society. And then we noted because the family is so foundational, because the family is so <clears throat> important to culture and society and the world in which we live, we saw that the family is the focus of Satan. That Satan is seeking to devour it, to destroy it, to wreck and ruin it. And so we, we've seen that through the course of the last couple of weeks. 
And we talked a little bit about some of the, the devices that Satan uses to accomplish that goal. Today I want to continue and kind of end this portion of the series <clears throat> with the message, the family, the formula of success. The formula of success. Because I believe that if we want to truly see success in our country, in our churches, in our families, it's going to come from the Word of God and it's going to start in the home. It's going to begin there. Listen, this, this, isn't, this isn't a gender issue. It's not a race issue. It is simply a biblical issue. The fact is, is that the home is the key to everything here, folks. I don't care. You can go ahead and say whatever you want. But if the homes are not strong, our churches will not be strong. And if our church isn't strong, I can guarantee you the culture and society is only going to get worse and worse and worse. I mean, we are the pillar and the ground of truth. The church is. <clears throat> Take away the truth, you got problems. And so we need to get back to the family and focusing on it. But today I want to talk about the family, the formula of success, because it is indeed absolutely necessary. And God has designed the home in a way. I mean, He's designed you and I even, His creatures, to thrive in a family environment. I mean, the nurturing, support, intimacy, security, and acceptance that we receive from a functional family is priceless. It is needful. It's necessary. It's, it's imperative and important in our lives. The life lessons that are learned and the love that is felt in a home and in a family, it uh, sets the stage for future success and failure. And it's just the reality of it. Now, there's always hope in Christ for anyone in any situation. However, the emotional scars that often result from a dysfunctional home or family leave a person with a number of battles to be fought that God never intended that they have to fight. And so we find ourselves backtracking often, trying to rebuild areas that should be solid already. And God wants us to understand how valuable, how essential, and how important the family is. And today I just want to share a basic, just a couple basic thoughts about the family. But I want to focus this message on the family, the... <clears throat> Formula of success. Because honestly, I'm convinced that the family certainly does provide us with a platform of success. And so I'll share those with you in just a moment. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you thanking you again for all you do for us. <clears throat> Lord, we are just a needy people today. And we're asking, Lord, for your leadership and your love in our life. Now, Father, help us to hear from you and to allow you to speak to our hearts, to be in informed and to be inspired. And, uh, Father, may our lives be different. Father, there's a number of families represented here. <clears throat> That's a good thing. Lord, um, our families need to reflect your word, and they need to be exactly what you want them to be. Lord, if everyone's going to fit, and if everyone's going to be fulfilled and satisfied in those relationships, then, Lord, we need to, Father, heed your word. So help us, Lord, to understand how valuable the family is today, to realize some of the elements that it brings to the table the needs that it meets, how essential and how important and valuable it is, really, to not just us, but to our church as well as our culture. Lord, we'll thank you and praise you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. <clears throat> okay, as we talk about, again, the family, we know that God designed the family to accomplish certain goals, to meet specific needs, <clears throat> and He created the family with a purpose. First of all, the family instills character. It instills character. Um, <clears throat> when I say it instills character, I guess we could say that to some degree it teaches self-discipline. I mean, <clears throat> in order to navigate successfully in life, a person must possess certain characteristics and qualities, and those characteristics and qualities are born within the family. It, everyone's going to have certain characteristics and qualities. Some good, some bad. But if they're, they're built on a bad foundation, then they're going to be bad qualities. If they're built on a good foundation, most often they'll be good qualities. It is in the home that we learn to, to oppress or suppress that atomic nature and to say no to ourselves. So often, you know, we, we want to blame the culture and society. We want to blame everyone around us for why we struggle with sin. The fact is we struggle with sin because we can't say no to ourselves. Because we can't get a handle or a grip 
on the Lord Jesus Christ and on the fact that we're sinners and that we must make a conscious decision to say no to the flesh, to crucify flesh, to die to self. The fact is in the, in the family, the Bible teaches us in Ephesians chapter 6, it goes on immediately to say, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It says, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. See, God has enlisted the family to instill character into the next generation. And as we look at that passage, we say, well, I don't see anywhere where it says the family is responsible for instilling character. Let me tell you something. The Bible says their children obey your parents in the Lord. Well, that means, therefore, that a parent then must have some rules. A parent must have some parameters in which to work by. Let me tell you something. In our world today in which we live, we are finding a world that has no parameters and no, no rules, no guardrails for our children today. We permit them to think what they want to think, do what they want to do, go where they want to go be with whom they want to be with, and we say to ourselves, we can't force them because we'll lose them. And if we tell them what to do, they won't want anything to do with us and they won't love us anymore and they won't listen to us anymore. Let me tell you something. You don't have to go too far in our world, maybe right down to the mall, maybe down to the next local store or to a restaurant down the street to see the children are not obeying their parents. And I don't care if they're letting them do anything they want to do. It's not, it doesn't seem to help. Let me tell you something. God has a plan and He has a a purpose in what He does. We have got to draw some lines in the sand and say no to our children. Because if we don't teach them how to say no, how how, how to obey us, they won't obey themselves even. And they won't obey God, that's for sure. It's so important that we outline and that we provide our children with some real structure in their lives. Because we are teaching them valuable principles to live by. We're teaching them skills that will help them to succeed in life. If a child cannot obey you, he's not going to want to obey his boss. He's not going to obey his teacher. He's not going to obey the local policeman. He's not going to want to obey God himself. And the fact is is that it begins in the home. Because in the home, the family instills character. Self-control. Honesty responsibility, respect, loyalty, commitment, gratitude, patience, compassion, humility, kindness, responsibility, diligence, courage, fairness, and love. All of those are characteristics and qualities of good character. And may I say today that our children need those qualities in their life. And it is rooted and it is grounded in the family. And that's where it begins. It's not a school's responsibility to teach your kids those qualities or characteristics. It's not a culture's job to teach that. They want to teach something all right, but they don't want to teach those characteristics and qualities. May I tell you today that it begins in the home. It starts with the family. That means it starts with us. There were a few times growing up that I wanted to quit. Maybe a baseball team or some kind of group that I had joined. And I can still hear my parents saying, you're not going to quit. But the coach isn't being fair. It's boring. I didn't expect it to be quite like this. It's harder than I thought it would be. You joined and made the commitment, you're going to finish. What you start, you finish. Man, that's character. In our culture, I don't know that that's the case anymore. Now, we can't even get a kid just to, to, to follow through on the least commitment, let alone a big commitment. Let me tell you, you as parents, it's no one's fault if your child will not follow through on things they start, but your fault. It's no one's but yours. If your children don't obey you, it's no one's fault but yours. If your children don't know how to say no, it's no one's fault but yours. If your children can't say please and thank you, it's nobody's fault but yours. Yeah, but you should know that school they go to, they just, all those kids are a bunch of lunatics. They're nuts. They're crazy. And my kid comes home wanting to cuss like they do, wanting to act like they do, wanting to think like they do, wanting to respond to me like their kids respond to their parents. No, it's, there's nobody, nobody, nobody responsible for the way your child behaves more than you. Listen, you got to draw some lines and you got to put some parameters in place. The family instills character. That's why it's so important. Go ahead, let Satan destroy the family. 
go ahead, allow our culture to wreck and ruin homes, then let me tell you, there will not be character in its people. And may I say, we see evidence of that all around us today. Amen. The family instills character. The family is to life what basic training is to the army. The family is to life what basic, basic training is to the army. You say, what is that? Well, basic training. When you go to basic training in the military, it instructs and instills the necessary qualities and characteristics needed to thrive and to succeed in that environment. I mean, you have a little book they call a smart book in the army. At least they used to. And you say, you better memorize, you better know everything in that book because it has all the essential, necessary uh, qualities and characteristics and know-how that you need to be a successful soldier in the military. And so there in basic training, we were required. We were de- it was demanded of us. We had to learn those things or there were consequences. And it prepared us for those next steps in our journey through the military. May I say that the home is indeed the training ground for life. And that you must have some things in place as a parent that demand that a child walk the line, live the life, that he is required, she is required to obey the rules. If they do not, if they're not required, then let me tell you, they're not going to be successful in life. And we can go and blame their friends. And we can blame society. And we can blame the schools. And we can blame everybody and everything else. But it starts in the home. It doesn't mean that every child's perfect. It doesn't mean they're going to do everything we demand or require of them. But what it does mean is they have no hope if we don't lay down the law and express the expectations that we have. The family instills character. What else? The family invites companionship. It invites companionship. The family introduces us to relationships. The first experience you had with a relationship probably started in the home. Now, there may be rare exception of that where maybe a child was left alone. A mother threw it in a trash can somewhere and it grew up maybe in some kind of home. But in most cases, almost every case, there is a mother or there's a father or there are both there to help with a child. There's a grandparent involved. There's a grandpa involved. There's somebody that's caring and taking care within the context of a family. Man, let me tell you something. The family invites companionship. Within the heart of every person, there's a longing, there's a yearning for family and fellowship. That's just a reality of it. Someone says, well, I don't know about that. Well, in Genesis 1.27, the Bible says, so God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. The Bible tells us that mankind was created in the image of God. It's interesting to note that in Genesis 3.8, the Bible tells us then, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What was going on there? What we are to understand is that there was a relationship, a very intimate, close relationship that was established in the Garden of Eden. God himself created mankind with the idea, the hope of fellowship. And there he would interact, he would, he would continue to work and to walk with man. Mankind has always been, uh, 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 you know, the creation of God. He made them male and female. Within your heart and within mine is a desire to have fellowship, a desire to fit in, a desire to be accepted, a desire to belong. And may I say that that desire is fulfilled biblically, scripturally, through the family. And then it extends into the church family. David himself said, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will lift me up. What's he saying? When earthly family forsakes, then God's family will step in. God and his family will. Some of you did not come from a good environment. Some of you have had to overcome tremendous obstacles in your life. May I say that the house of God, the the people of God, this place become your family. But we all long for relationships. We all long for fellowship. Some more than others. But it's still there. It's still there. See, God doesn't need mankind to complete Him or to be complete. However, He longed to fellowship with His creation and as a result, He created mankind. It's interesting to note that when mankind sinned and they were separated from God because of sin, God went to great lengths to restore that fellowship on Calvary. 
because he so much wanted fellowship with his creation. You are the creation of God, and within you is the same desire for fellowship that God has fellowship for you. So you have that desire for others and with others. Now, again, there's some people that would be quite content to live on the backside of the, 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 you know, the, the wilderness, so to speak, all by themselves. But listen, before you assume that that's the case, before you go, well, I just know somebody that's like that, I think sometimes there's other reasons for that kind of lifestyle. I think there are insecurities involved. I think there are some other issues. Maybe there's been hurt in their life. There have been issues in their life. Relationships haven't gone the way they should. Situations haven't turned out like they'd like them to. So they kind of separate themselves from society. They separate themselves from people. They want nothing to do with others, or so they say. But down deep in their heart, let me tell you, they have the same desire to be accepted, loved, and to be affirmed as anyone else does. They still want to belong to someone or something. The fact is they're just afraid to because they've been hurt too many times. The family, it invites that companionship. It provides that companionship. A mom, a dad, who lovingly care and consider their children, who, who put themselves in a position to, to love and to meet needs in their lives, are those that will help to inspire this kind of companionship and relationship that God intended. Children, it's interesting. Children who are disconnected from family will often turn to gangs for that need to be met. You know, we like to look at the children and we say, that kid's so wicked, that person's so bad. Look at them getting involved in a gang. Let me tell you something. It's not that they're so bad or they're so wicked or any less wicked than we are. They're just searching for the very innate desire that God placed in their heart. And that's for fellowship. That's for acceptance. And who do we think we are? God's given us a wonderful family maybe to grow up in. The privilege of family. A mom, a dad that love us. And we'll take that for granted sometimes. We'll go around, nah, my parents are a bunch of losers. Which old fuddy does. You won't let me do nothing. Blah, 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 blah. And all along, there's some young man or some young lady out there that's reaching out to a gang because they don't have a mom or a dad that care. They don't have grandma or grandpa that are able to step in and be that kind of authority in their life and that kind of companionship. They don't have that affirmation in their life. They don't have that encouragement in their life. They don't have that acceptance in their life. And they turn to what? The only thing available to them. And that's their peers. And we'll get all high and mighty and act like we're so much better than them. Listen to me, those young men and young ladies are just fulfilling a need in their life. And that life is God-given. And may I say today that the family is important because it'll keep your kids off the street. The family's important because it'll keep them out of the arms of some other young man or some other young lady that's willing to give them the love and the acceptance that you won't. They'll say, I, I'm just, it's too much work. It's so much work to be. You better be a mom and a dad. You better step in and take care of the role that God's given you. You better understand what the book says about you, your wife, your marriage, your family, or you're going to lose your children to this world who's willing to take them in as they are. And then we'll blame that peer group. We'll blame the schools. We'll blame the culture and the society for why our children are reaching out for love somewhere else other than home. Oh, I understand. I'm, I'm so sick. I'm so upset right now. Because somebody in their mind saying in their heart, yeah, well, you just don't know my kid. They're just wicked. What do you do with that kid that went bad? I didn't do anything wrong. I was perfect parent. Okay, show me a perfect parent, please. And it's just not one of our kids that couldn't go off the deep end. I understand that. They have to make decisions on their own at some point. But why don't, we, why, don't, why don't we just stop pointing to the exceptions of the rule and look at the norm? The fact is today is that what we produce is a direct result of what we produce. I'm just saying we've got to take responsibility. If your home is not exactly what God ought, thinks it ought to be, then take responsibility for the failures and the misconduct. Listen, you say, well, I don't have family devotions and we don't read our Bible in our house and honestly, we don't always go to church and I don't make God really that important in my life and my children never see me pray. They've never seen me read the Bible. My children... And you're going to wonder why they want to love the world? They're just loving what you love. Oh, you say, well, we're here on Sunday. I'm not just talking about Sunday. I'm talking about your attitude toward the things of this world. I'm talking about your heart. Kids see through this mess. I just want to encourage you to say my family is important. 
I have to step up. My children are taking cue from me. If anyone's going to love them, I want them to, I want to love them. I don't want them to seek love outside. I'm going to do the best I can to offer them the companionship, to offer them the fellowship that they need. That innate desire, that God-given desire. See, God knows us better than we do. Again, he understood Adam's needs. And he understands yours and mine. Because even though he provided him all those animals, guess what? There was still a need in Adam's life for something else. And God could have said, well, too bad, Adam. Deal with it. But he didn't. He said, I don't want your life to be miserable. I want you to be happy. I want you to have joy. You have fellowship. You can have fellowship with me, Adam. But I also know that it's nice to have somebody you can literally wrap your arms around. Oh, mom and dad, please wrap your arms around your children. I mean, tell them you love them and show them you love them. Don't love them by letting them do and say and go and be what they want to be. Love them by outlining some, some rules and giving them some direction in life. And then hold them close and let them know you love them. Tell them you're proud of them and happy and rejoicing with them when... God blesses them or your home or your family. Include them in your home. The family, it invites companionship. The family, it it not only invites companionship, but it also instills character. And number three, the family interprets culture. It interprets culture. So what do you mean? Well, Aristotle said... Give me a child until he's seven and I'll show you the man. Give me a child until he is seven and I will show you the man. That's Aristotle. You know that that Greek guy, you know, that's supposed to be so wise. Give me a child until he's seven and I'll show you the man. That's amazing, isn't it? If I can just have him until he's seven years of age, I'll tell you what kind of man he's going to be. Because I, I can tell you, you know why? Because I'm going to make him the man. He's going to be, is what he's saying. Give him to me for seven years, the first seven years of his life, and I'll tell you what he, and who he's going to be. Outside of God intervening, Aristotle's right on cue. Yeah. Vladimir Lenin, he assumed the reins of power in Russia in, 17, in 1917. He formed the, the, the Russian Soviet Federative Socialist Republic. He had a very violent in a very oppressive communistic system that he invoked. But he made these words. This, this leader, he said, Give me four years to teach the children, and the seed I have sown will never be uprooted. Is that amazing? I mean, he's not asking for seven years even. He says, Just give me four. He, he, I mean, someone says, Well, that's obvious not true. Well, wait a second. Did you ever read about communism? Did you ever hear about it? This guy lived way back in the early 1900s. He made these statements in 1917 when he began his regime. I mean, let me ask you, have you heard about communism? Because if you had, he obviously knew what he was talking about. Give me four years to teach the children and, I, and the seed I have sown will never be uprooted. Again, earlier in our study, we talked about the fact that family defines and describes what relationships really are. But, but also we note now that, that family shapes our views and our outlook. It defines right from wrong. That's where we first learn what's right and wrong. That's where we first learn how, how, how we should look at things. You know, as we walked down the mall with my family a number of years ago, just when they were teenagers and my children are probably 10 years ago. If I went back 10 years, all my children would be teenagers big time. I mean, I actually go back seven years. Every one of my children are teenagers. Go back six years. Every one of my kids are teenagers six years ago. Josh, what are you, 24? Six years ago, seven years ago, Josh would be 19, or five years ago, he'd be 19. So six years ago, he was still in school, still under my roof, along with every one of his siblings. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Because as you look at me today, you think he doesn't know anything about raising kids because his kids are all grown up now and he doesn't even have a clue what it's like to raise kids in our generation. And that's a reality. 
Most young families here do not understand. When I teach, and I told my wife this the other day, I've got to find someone else to teach this train up a child class, but I've got to find somebody that's doing it right. Because people don't respect me anymore in that position because I don't have little kids that they can look at and say, oh boy, they do certainly listen. We lose our authority in certain areas. I used to be a young a pastor and I'd think, man, when my kids get older, they don't have some authority to teach this. You know, because I want to be careful because, you know, the last thing you want to do is teach about, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, and then your kids all go off the deep end. So since that happened, I've got to make sure, no, I'm joking. But anyway, <laughs> but, but the fact is now that I'm, I'm a little on the other side, just a few years over, I think, wow, now if I tell this young couple that's got five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, they go, man, you raised your kids back in the rock, you know, back in the Flintstone age. But I still remember walking my kids, walking down the, 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 the uh, mall together. And there'd, there'd be this young couple, this teenage couple down there. And this happened. I mean, I started this when they were just little kids. I mean little. Here they are holding hands. You could tell they're not married. You knew they weren't old enough to be married. It was obvious. They're holding hands. Or maybe they're over there in a the corner all over each other. Me and my wife would look and say, Oh, my goodness, to see those poor teenagers holding hands. That's not what pleases the Lord. God says it's not good that a man touch a woman. Until you're married, you shouldn't be doing that. Those teenagers obviously don't have a mom and dad who are teaching them right. You say, that wasn't very nice. Oh, listen. Go ahead. If you're not careful, here's what will happen. You better understand the family, the family interprets culture for their children. The family decides what's right and wrong. The family instills that quality in their lives. And you better be careful because, listen, if you aren't careful by not saying anything, you are endorsing it. You walk by and you see that stuff and then you turn your head, you see that big, uh, um, what's that, those girls get all them undergarments now, it's uh, Victoria's Secret. You walk through the mall. Have you ever tried to walk through the mall, fellas, and not look at that one? I mean, I'm telling you what, it's tough. And so you're walking along here down the mall, and it's like, whoa, <laughs> your kids are with you. you. They saw it, too, that you need to say something to them. Boys, that's not how a, girl, a young lady ought to dress. That. They don't need, that should not be on that wall. She's naked. Oh, don't say anything, and just kind of give a glance and act like nothing's wrong. And the kids, by, through saying nothing, they're going, well, I guess it's okay. That's all right. I'm telling you, you don't realize how powerful your words are and how important your family is because it does make a difference. And I'm just saying, we need to be very careful in what we endorse, what we don't endorse, whether it's with our mouths or whether it's in silence. Because when it's all said and done, just like Aristotle said, give me a child until he's seven and I'll show you the man. The problem is we make mistakes early on. Here's what parents say. Oh, it's no big deal with the kids right now. They don't even know what's going on. They're so young. so young and don't okay so we've, we're making a bunch of mistakes right now so there's nobody there to care for them so there's nobody to take care of them so this and so that and all of a sudden we realize when it's too late we go i don't understand this i can't get through to them i don't understand why my team won't have anything to do with me can i just be as blunt as i can possibly be without being offensive i hope maybe it's because we didn't have anything to do with them We're living our lives. We're living the dream. We're going on vacation. We got a nice house. We got a wonderful car. I mean to tell you, we're able to do this and do that. And man, it's great, man. This is great. This is comfortable. I just bought new furniture and I got this and I got that. Yeah, okay. How much time you spent with your kids trying to help them understand the culture? Realize what's right, what's wrong? Expressing to them that gay marriage is not marriage at all. Because biblically it doesn't fit in God's parameter. It's not in this book. I'm not trying to be mean or nasty. I'm not trying to steal happiness from people. I'm just trying to take a stand where God takes a stand. And I want my children to grow up with a God-given outlook on life. I want them to have a biblical worldview, not a cultural worldview. And I'm telling you that family interprets culture. 
When we allow sin to be paraded in our presence and we act as though nothing is wrong, our children take that as a silent endorsement to evil. Listen, you let them watch certain things on TV, you are endorsing it. You say, I'm not endorsing that junk. Yes, you are. Because if you don't say something against it, you're saying something for it. Understand the family. The family is interpreting culture. The family's saying to that young man and that young lady, this is right, that's wrong. This is good, that's evil. This is acceptable, that's unacceptable. And listen, you go to a funeral with family and you see family fighting. Let me tell you, you need to say, that's not how it's supposed to be, children. You pray for Aunt so-and-so and Uncle so-and-so, would you? Pray for them. God loves them and we need to love them. But we, you don't act like that at a funeral. People, you say, well, that's not... Yeah, well, I'm just telling you, there are times we have to step up because we are formulating what's right and wrong in their mind. And one day when we die, they won't be fighting because they learned early on in life, that's not how you act at a funeral. Family interprets culture. So how children see the world, how they see God, how they see the society we live in is rooted in the family. You determine that. You have that influence, that opportunity. You must use it for God and good. There's only so much we can do sometimes. I understand that. I'm not talking about our own. Sometimes we're trying to deal with, say, as grandparents, we see our children taking steps in the wrong direction in that area. You have to be very wise how you handle that. You can't think you're going to run somebody else's home, even if it's your own kids. It's up to them. They've got to make their own decisions. I understand that. But even so, when those children are in our presence, we can influence them. We can encourage them, try to help them. But let me give you these very quickly, and we're going to close. The family inhibits corruption. And I, can't, I don't have time to spend on it much, but we're speaking about positive peer pressure. The family inhibits corruption. Listen, I, I don't know about you, but because, you know, we have this great internal... Um, inherent desire to fit in, to be accepted, and to belong, the family becomes very instrumental and important in diverting fleshly impulses. It's very important. The family provides positive peer pressure. Now, now listen, that's up to you, though, if it does or not. I mean, that's up to you. For instance, um, if your children are raised in a certain way to, find that, to, to say that alcohol is not good, that it's bad... And, and you avoid alcohol in things and you're careful. I mean, you, when you go to weddings with family, you go there for the dinner. And then when the drinking starts, you guys all kind of slip away when the big party starts and all that. And you say, hey, folks, it's been a blessing. We sure love you. We certainly, but we need to get going right now. And everybody goes, oh, okay, well, sorry you have to leave so early. And you go, yeah, okay. Your kids go, well, we don't stay for that stuff. We don't, we don't party in our family. We don't drink alcohol and dance and do all the stuff that the world does. So then what happens is, is that one day when your child decides to go out and says, somebody says, here, why don't you drink this? He goes, yeah, if I drink that, mom and dad aren't going to be happy with me. If I drink that, my brothers and sisters will probably even have something to say about it because that's not right, and I know that, and I've been taught that. It's been instilled in my life, as well as I know I'm going to disappoint my parents, I'm going to break their heart, and I'm going to probably get the wrath of some of my siblings on me. Hey, listen, let me tell you something. The family was designed in a way that there would be acceptance and love and belonging. And because of that desire to belong and to be accepted, often the family is a means by which we inhibit corruption. It keeps us from taking the wrong steps in life. There's a number of steps I did not take in my life because I was concerned about hurting my family. And that's how it ought to be in yours. Listen, don't, don't, don't enter life with your home and your family by saying, Children, it doesn't matter. Just, you know, I don't care what you do, where you go, what you do. It doesn't matter to me. I'm just going to love you no matter what. Hold on a second. Wait a second. Be careful how you say that. Someone right now has already got a little, I felt a kink right there. I felt it. I felt it. Because someone's going, you ought to love them no matter what. I didn't say you don't. I'm just saying, why would you tell them, go ahead, be homosexual, even though you know you were created a male or female? Go ahead. doesn't matter. We'll still accept your boyfriend or girlfriend. We'll still allow him to come over to the house for all that fun stuff. And then we'll just have a good time. You do whatever you want. We just love you anyway, no matter what. If you're saying it like that, you've got a problem. Listen, I, I have told my kids. I've sat in front of them and said, listen, I don't care. And I told your teenagers this when I was taking over the youth and when I was dealing with problems in the singles class. I would say to them every time, it doesn't matter where you end up in life 
doesn't matter what happens to you. You know one thing. Preacher loves you. And my kids, Daddy loves you. And I'll be there for you when you decide that you want some real help. I, I, I don't want to encourage them in the wrong. I want to encourage them in right. I'm there for you. I'm just like, hey, listen. It, hey, let, you can take whatever you want. But that prodigal son... He came back with a broken heart. He came back with a repentant spirit. Dad didn't let him back in the house to live like he lived when he left. He let him back in the house because he said, I'll just be a servant, Daddy. Yeah. That's why he was permitted back in the house. Not, he wasn't allowed to smoke joints. He wasn't allowed to drink beer. He wasn't allowed to party with his buddies and friends. He wasn't allowed to spend Daddy's money anymore. No, he had spent his money. He had lived his life. And he came back on his knees saying, I repent. I'm sorry, Daddy. Let me just be a servant because I know what's out there. And I'd rather be here as your servant. And he said... Son, listen, Daddy loves you. You come on back in. You don't have to worry about anything. Now, you've lost your inheritance. You do know that already. You've spent it. It's gone. So there are consequences for your actions. But I want you to know, Daddy, he loves you and accepts you. You're back in the home. You're back in the family. Everything's cool. No problem here. You've always been part of our family. But you better be careful how you present those things. We live in a world today that says you can do whatever you want, go wherever you want, be whatever you want, do whatever you want, and everybody has to accept it and say it's all right. And as a matter of fact, has no right saying it's wrong. And there's some things that are wrong. My children drink. Now they're going to get the wrath of dad on their back. My, my son cheats on his wife. I guarantee you, I'm going to be ripping his face off. I'm going to tell you something. There's some things that aren't acceptable in this family. Some of the things don't, don't work that way. We don't do certain things. But there is that unconditional love that we try to show. And there's a tough, that's a fine line to find at times. It's tough. I'm not saying it's easy. Yeah, I love my kids no matter what. They know that. However, they also know if they cross a line, dad's going to be on their back. And you know what? That's what we're talking about. That peer pressure, that positive peer pressure. Positive peer pressure. It's a good peer pressure. And last, the family introduces Christ. It introduces Christ. What you know about God today began in the home. Started in the home. You know, like we said earlier, a child's view of God's more influenced by dad than most fathers would like to admit. You set the stage. You, you laid the foundation for that. If you have a good view of God, you probably had a pretty good dad or a pretty good authority over you somehow. Whether it was somebody, I mean, you had somebody that represented a father figure that showed you love and cared about you. And, and did say, when you, you do wrong, I'm going to, we're going to get on you, just like Hebrews chapter 12 says. We're gonna, we're gonna, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm going to still love you, but I'm going to have to make sure you know you've got to get that right because it's only going to hurt you in the long run. But the family introduces Christ. I, I love the story the other day, one of our families. One of the young ladies was uh, uh, with one of our, um, one of our uh, groups, uh, one of our teen groups, and they went up to a, a young ladies' conference, and one of the girls came back and was listening to the testimonies of all the children and uh, got convicted about some things, got home, and while she was home, she started, mom kind of started talking to her and realized this is the situation, and the daughter was very open about that. Before it's over with, she's trusting Christ. Mom gets to lead her to the Lord right there in the home. Let me tell you something. That didn't start on a conference. That didn't start when they drove off this property to go to some uh, teenage girl meeting or ladies meeting. That started in the home years ago. Laying a foundation, providing that, that, that real um, base for, for faith. And I want to encourage you as a dad to be the dad you ought to be because you are expressing who God is to your children. And as a mom, the same. Be very careful with that. And we could take the time to read Deuteronomy chapter 6 that talks about speaking of and sharing and talking about the Lord when you are, rise and when you walk through life and when you go to bed at night. Literally keeping Christ on our lips always. Always interjecting Christ. Always encouraging them in the things of the Lord. Man, that, the Lord ought to be first in our life and it ought to be very evident to our children. So as we close today, there's five things that I believe the family really helps to solidify. The family instills character. The family invites companionship. The family, it interprets culture. It inhibits corruption, and it introduces Christ. Now, you may have had a horrible upbringing. Your family may be a mess. You didn't have a dad that showed you unconditional love, nor was he even there for you, maybe. 
You didn't have a mom. Maybe she abandoned you early on in life. Uh, maybe you, you had an abusive situation or a horrible case. I, you know what? That is a tragedy to say the least. I can't even imagine. And I, I really wouldn't wish that on anyone. But let me tell you what. The Lord still is there to be a father to you. And you know what? He's provided us the house of God to be a family to us. And although we have, a, say, an earthly family, maybe it's dysfunctional, maybe it's functional. The Bible does go on to teach us that we need this family as well. We need both. Because that's who we are. We're spiritual beings, family at church. We're physical beings, family at home. It's important. I want to encourage you. Maybe you're lost today. Maybe you don't even know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. Why don't you settle that? Why don't you just ask the Lord to forgive you, to save you, and to come into your life? Why don't you just say, Lord, I remember hearing about you dying on a cross, and now I understand. That cross right there represents my forgiveness. Without that cross, I couldn't go to heaven because you shed your blood there. You sacrificed on my behalf. Lord, I need you in my life as my Savior and my Lord because I can't be good enough or do enough to get there on my own. I've got to have you and what you did for me. Let's settle that today. Don't leave here lost. Don't leave here without hope. And if you're a child of God today, I don't know what your home's like. You can, you can put on the dog, as my grandma would say. You make it look good. What's it really like? You, you, let me just tell you this. You may think you're getting over, but there ain't a junior church teacher in this church that doesn't know what's really happening in your home. Your children let people know what's going on. I don't care how quiet you're hoping they are. It comes out sooner or later. Would you pray for my mommy and daddy? They've been fighting all the time. You don't think that happens all the time? Do you know how much I've learned from the children around here about you? A lot more than I learned in that office. Let's make sure we get our home in order. Let's make sure our family's what it ought to be according to the Word of God. Not what we think it should be, but what God says it should be. Not what the world says it should be, but what God says it should be. Let's be the dad God says you should be, the mom God says you should be. Let's not be a mom or dad based on what the world defines it. Let's define it based on what the God says. God, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership and your love today. Thank you for your just your